This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Russell Moore, you're listening to The Russell Moore Show. Every week, we come together for questions and conversations, and this is one of the questions weeks uh, where I take the questions that you all have sent. And before we start doing that, if you have a question uh, about anything, big or small, send it to questions at russellmoore.com, and I'll do my best to answer it. We won't use your name on the air unless you ask us to, so we're not going to embarrass you. Uh, But send those to questions at russellmore.com. And I'm joined by our producer, Ashley Hales. Ashley, welcome. Thanks. It's so fun to be here. What kinds of questions do we have this week? Well, I thought we'd start off with something a little fun. Christmas is on its way. So I would love to hear what is your favorite Christmas present that you received as a child? Ha. <sighs> My favorite Christmas present as a child, probably uh, when I was 11 and my parents uh, uh, got me a bookcase uh, to to put books on. I think that has to be probably my favorite. And that would make a lot of sense looking just behind you, right? (laughs) Yeah. But I also think I, I was always more excited by the stockings than I was Mm. by the presents. Yeah. For whatever reason, there's just something about you know, the surprise right. of going through that stocking and right. finding stuff in it. Yes, that is so fun. Uh, that's great. Well, as we think about some of these fun issues, of course, but we also have a whole lot of serious questions from from our listeners. Um, and let's start off with the, with the idea of social media. So Twitter, mm. as we know, it seems to have been in a sort of dumpster fire recently, but but this brings up larger yeah, questions re- about- By recently, you mean the last decade. Yes, well, that right. is true, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's blown up even further, I suppose, mm-hmm. unsurprisingly. But you know, as we think about the issue of social media, one of, the, one of your listeners wants to ask this question, do you think that social media narratives are an issue of human dignity? So do they merit a stiffer theological warning for us as we participate in these sorts of forums? What do you think about that? How do we think about social media in terms of, in terms of discipleship? Well, I'm I'm wondering what the listener means by uh, a theological warning, because mm-hmm. it, it could mean a couple of things. I mean, one of those things could mean a warning as in don't use social media uh, right. at all. And, and I think it, in that sense, there's there's really no way to get away from social media, even if you're not using it. 
because of the way that social media just changes the whole environment around us uh, and, and changes the way that people act in in real life. I mean, you can just mm-hmm. even see with the the way that social media platforms have have evolved and changed uh, over time. And mm-hmm. Facebook uh, starts out as kind of college kids connecting with okay. each other. And now we come to a, a place where it's a lot of baby boomers doing politics and conspiracy theories and, and arguing uh, with each other. Twitter uh, started out. I remember Twitter was really fun mm-hmm. uh, at at the very beginning, and I had, you know, most of the people at that time were people who followed me. I mean, right. who who I who kind of knew me in some way or the other, and so mm-hmm. the the people who followed me were those folks. So I could kind of um, make jokes or have some sarcasm, and people would get it. Right. And I noticed the change when. Uh, my friend David Platt, who wrote a book called Radical about mm-hmm. you know, getting away from the American dream, he was in town and and we were riding around somewhere. And I said, uh, I'm here in David's new Bentley, joking. Right. And, he, and so all of these people, I think it's terrible that the uh, the author of Radical is buying <laughs> a Bentley and whatever. Yeah. Like, uh, this has changed here because people mm-hmm. would have known that ahead of time. All those things, mm-hmm. uh, they, they shift and they change. And I wouldn't say the warning is necessarily don't get involved in those things and don't participate in them. Mm-hmm. For some people, I would. Uh, what I would say is... Be aware of what these things do to people Mm -hmm. generally, and then be aware of what they do to you. Mm -hmm. So you you may uh, notice, uh, for instance, that that Twitter is making you into a combative, if Twitter exists by the time that we we have this Twitter or whatever comes after. (laughs) Right, right. It it turns you into a combative uh, sort of angry person. And if you are a combative, angry person, that is not a social media platform Mm -hmm. that you should be on at all. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're somebody who has um, body issue, uh, body image issues, or uh, envy, uh, sorts of your, your weak point is mm. envy and mm. covetousness. Instagram's probably not the place uh, for you. So I think just constantly kind of having an internal mm. check-in. Mm-hmm. But I don't, uh, I, and I also think the theological warning would be remembering what Jesus says about the integrity of the inside and the outside Mm -hmm. of the reality and the image. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what social media can do is to cause you to split those apart where you're putting one image out on social media, but it, it doesn't, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really match the reality. And so Mm -hmm. I would just watch that and ask myself that question every once in a while. Yeah. And how might you see the church speaking into that issue particularly? Well, I think that I think that one thing that ha- that should happen is in our teaching, mentoring, discipleship, uh, asking the question: uh, What is social media doing to mm-hmm. you right mm-hmm. now? What do mm-hmm. you notice in your life in terms of of social media? Because, I mean, I, I have a lot of. It seems as though social media is the is among the number one, two or three questions that pastors have mm-hmm, for me mm-hmm. or problems that they have, mm-hmm. because a lot of times pastors will say, I look out on my members' 
Yeah. Facebook <laughs> feeds usually is what they're they're bringing up. But they bring up Facebook. And as I look at that and I just think, what have I been doing that this is the end right. product of the discipleship? And I just always have to say, this is not your fault. Um, and what you're seeing, you can't resolve that with a two-week sermon series on how to responsibly <laughs> right, right. use social media. I mean, this is coming from 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's it's light from distant stars showing up now. But what you can do is to shape and prepare people for whatever the next wave mm-hmm. of the, the metaverse or whatever it is that we have yeah. so that they're at least at the beginning starting to not unintentionally get swept into something that's going to change them. But just asking that question periodically, I think, is is the main thing. And the, the other thing would be don't allow your children uh, to go onto social media platforms uh, early or, or in mm-hmm. adolescence. I mean, you, you can look at all of the studies Social media has a negative uh, influence, dramatically negative, on uh, teenage Mm -hmm. uh, mental health, on anxiety, on depression, on all of those things. And it's not, I mean, adolescence is hard enough when you're you're, kind of looking around saying, what does everyone think of me? Mm -hmm. But when you add uh, 24 hours a day, a a judgment seat of Mm -hmm. people who are... Mm -hmm. Uh, who are evaluating you or you're looking and you're seeing it, these are the things I wasn't yeah. invited to. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a heavy, heavy burden for mm-hmm. kids. And yeah. so you'll get some complaints <laughs> from uh, from adolescents. Hold mm-hmm. the line yeah, and, and just say no. Yeah. Can I ask how you did? I mean, you have some teenagers in the house. What does that mm-hmm. look like for you, you know, in your community? I'm asking also as a mother of have teens. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we don't allow them to, uh, what we do is we have uh, parental controls mm-hmm. that only have specific apps that are allowed to be uh, allowed to be used. So not right. social media uh, yep. platforms um, at all. Other than, I mean, if you consider YouTube a social media uh, site, which in some ways it, it is, mm-hmm. uh, they can have that, but it's limited in terms of what they can see and how yeah. many, how much time they can right, spend right. on it in, yeah. in any given day. Yeah. And so you make those those uh, restrictions. You know, when when we early on, when we you know, everybody in our neighborhood, the kids at nine, ten years old, were getting mm-hmm. iPhones, right. and our kids were not. And one of uh, my kids said, "Why? Why can't we?" And yeah. I said, "Well, here's why. This is." This is what I'm concerned about for you, and this is mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. And so I have one kind of strong Enneagram, one energy mm-hmm. sort of uh, kid. And he says to the neighbor kids, you know, it's just really terrible that your parents don't love you. <laughs> and I said, I didn't say their parents didn't love them. Right. <laughs> Everybody's trying to figure this out. Uh, but That's yeah. good. That's good. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. With summer coming up, I'm already dreading not only the traffic on the roads, but also the increased cost of groceries and the fact that my children eat all day long. You know, we all have stressors. Some are big and some are small, like an increased grocery bill. But therapy is a safe place to actually get these stressors off your chest and to figure out how you can actually work through them. 
There are many benefits to therapy for people from all walks of life. It's helpful to learn positive coping skills so you don't freak out about that grocery bill and how to set boundaries. Therapy can empower you to be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Moore today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Moore. We do need a community around us, though, to make some of these decisions. So I appreciate you you bringing that up. You know, and as yeah. we, you know, think about social media, you know, everyone's exhausted. Everyone's tired. Um, another listener asked the question, how do we not grow weary? You know, there's so much post-pandemic. What does Christian perseverance look like in this moment in time? And what kind of, what, where can we go to be buoyed. Well, you know, that listener, I am not that worried about. And, yeah. and here's why. Because he or she recognizes that that they are uh, weary and, yeah. and exhausted. The people I'm most worried about are the people who are bone dead, exhausted, and they mm-hmm. don't know it. Mm-hmm. And so they're just continuing to, to run uh, forward and kind of just numbing themselves yeah. in those places where they're uh, where they're exhausted. Sometimes they're numbing themselves literally with uh, substances uh, to, to kind of just shut down uh, mm-hmm. their minds. But many times it's not that. It's that they're just, they're just, they think I have to keep going in the way that I've been going mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. something is wrong, but they don't know what is wrong. Those are the people that I'm really uh, yeah. concerned about. And what I would say about growing, I mean, the Bible tells us repeatedly, uh, do not grow weary. For instance, do not do not grow weary in well-doing. Um, uh, talks about the, the, the sagging shoulders and the, the droopy, uh, droopy knees that can come in, in following Christ. Uh, that recognizes that there is weariness. I mean, right. the Bible's not speaking to things that, that don't happen. And so there's that sense of that is going to be the case for you. And it's going to be the case for you probably more than you know. And so I think that some of the ways, I, I just look at Jesus, the way that Jesus is uh, going forward, pulling back, going forward, mm-hmm. pulling back. He he goes into the crowds, he goes into ministries, headed toward Jerusalem, and then he'll pull yeah. the disciples to the side, or he'll pull three of the disciples to the side, or sometimes he just goes by himself mm-hmm. uh, off somewhere. And I think that is really important. I think it's it's important that we can see that in the humanity of Jesus. Yeah. But we also uh, but we also can see the fact that it was important enough that it was being referenced by the gospel writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so many times. And so mm-hmm. finding those ways to withdraw. Yeah. Uh, on a on a regular basis, so one kind of withdrawal uh, once a once a day, 
one kind of withdrawal mm-hmm. once a week. Yeah. Um, and then one kind of different sort of uh, withdrawal at a different point in the year. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's one of the ways. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is to make sure Make sure that you maintain connections. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I find that when I start getting truly weary, one of the things that I start doing is withdrawing in the wrong way. Right. So it's not that I'm kind of recharging. It's that I just kind of isolate and I don't really even notice that I'm not connecting mm-hmm. with uh, people. And so just having those, and, and I'll notice too, my, my wife mentions this a lot. I, there's a group of, uh, group of us uh, friends, we do a book club together. And um, there are times when there's so much going on that I'll say, ah, I'm not going to go tonight. And my wife will always say, oh, you will absolutely, every time that you make time for this, you come away saying, oh, I am so mm-hmm. encouraged and, and revved up and I'm so glad that I didn't not do that. Yeah. So sometimes you sort of force yourself. I'm going to call that friend or I'm going to go to that. Um, I'm going to go to that group of people getting together. Or I'm going to serve in that ministry uh, at the church and maintaining that sort of connection, I think mm-hmm. is, is it, you can go too far. Right. And, and it can become even more tiring and wearying, but enough of that is, is energizing, I think. You know, and it strikes me too, when you were talking about those, those spaces to pause, right. How that also fits with Andy Crouch's TechWise family. And that kind of ties yeah. our, you know, our conversation about social media in too, where he talks about making sure you don't have phones, you know, they're off for an hour during dinner. They're, you take a digital Sabbath and you're, you're taking a screen-free week. And that is, those are the patterns, right? We see in scripture as well, those sorts of patterns of, of pausing and withdrawal that helps us to not go to, towards that numbness that you're talking about. Yeah. And, and sometimes, I mean, if you talk, if we're looking at social media, I know there was a time it seemed as though every time that our family went on vacation, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. would randomly attack me on Twitter. <laughs> and so, so I would start getting people texting me, oh, can't believe that about Falwell again. I'm like, I don't. And Maria, <laughs> my wife started saying, I think that Jerry Falwell Jr. has like our calendar of vacations <laughs> because right. every time. And so in the middle of one of those things, I was just, eh, I don't really want to deal with it. I'm going to take a break. Uh, from Twitter for a little while. Yeah. And I did. And I was intending it to be about a two-week break, but it extended on into a month Mm -hmm. and then it extended on into a year to the point that this week, as we're recording this, I said, you know, I think I'm going to re-engage on on Twitter. And it's right when the question becomes, is Twitter even going to continue to uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> continue to exist? So the timing's kind of kind of perfect. But I I found that for me, being off of that particular social media platform for a while yeah. was an answer to some exhaustion. Mm-hmm. But it also, I think I was, I was disengaged with it for maybe too long that it was difficult for me to think about re-engaging. Right, right. Um, but. 
Yes, I mean, and, and sometimes yeah. that can be, I mean, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes you can say, okay, I don't, I don't need this. I'm not going to participate in it. Sometimes it's just, you've, you've kind of, it's kind of like a friend of mine who's a musician will talk about re-entry mm-hmm. uh, issues in mm-hmm. his family. If he's been off on tour right. uh, and, and he comes home, you can't just kind of immediately resume right. <laughs> the, right. the way it was. And some of that's the case. Yeah. You need some some white space, right, to kind of yeah. to jump back in. Um, you know, as so quickly, just a fun little aside, vacations, beach or mountains? Well, or what, what I would say the <laughs> best, the best vacation I've ever taken was both. Oh. Uh, and so in uh, on Oahu, in, in Hawaii, uh, the, the beaches, and then you drive through those amazing uh, mountains. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was kind of perfect. I grew up on a beach and a lot of people who grew up where I do, uh, they go to the mountains just in the same way that people who grow up in the mountains go to the beach. But I like them both. And I feel at home when I'm on a beach. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That makes sense. Yeah. I grew up in Southern California. So definitely beach is, feels like home, but then we had lots of years in Salt Lake City. So I like them both too. I think yeah. that's the neither or both. <laughs> you know, and I think we went, my dad was a guy of routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we would go to the Smoky Mountains every summer uh, for vacation and every year, never never missed. We would stay in the exact same place. We would follow the exact same itinerary. Mm -hmm. If it's Tuesday, it's Cade's Cove, (laughs) uh, you know, and and what have you. And I think I got a little Mm -hmm. burned out on that. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Smoky Mountains are great, but I I had a little too much of it. (laughs) Yes. Um, I want to come back to the idea of numbness. you've You've written recently in one of your newsletters about this sense of numbness um, that we might be experiencing in the evangelical church. So rather than, you know, as we're gearing up towards kind of the, we've just passed midterms and we're gearing up towards the election, presidential election here in America, there's a sense of which we might actually just kind of numb ourselves. You know, talk to us a little bit about what that looks like and what we might do to not numb ourselves to kind of the political polarization and rhetoric that has so angered American citizens? Well, I think in in this case, uh, what I mean by numbness is not so much the exhaustion that right. we kind of shut down from, although there's a part of it in there. It's more what we have normalized hmm. and the way that we don't expect uh, anything different. And so you look at, I mean, you can see this happen in a family or in a church where when people, when people are in an unhealthy, toxic sort of uh, environment, then what they start doing is comparing themselves to really, really extremely awful mm, stuff. Mm-hmm. And you and you can always then seem as though uh, things are in equilibrium. I mean, I think that's one of the issues with um, with the church at Corinth when uh, when the Apostle Paul is writing there, they have such a uh, 
such a lowered expectation in many ways for mm-hmm. what life in Christ ought to look like that they don't know what's normal uh, anymore. And that's why he says, you've got a situation going on in your church that ought to shock you. It even mm-hmm. shocks the unbelievers around you. And I think that's something of what mm-hmm. has happened mm-hmm. in American political life is that at the beginning of this era, and I mean, and, and nobody has to agree with me on Trump. I mean, everybody knows what I think about Donald Trump to the point that, you know, I often joke that I'm glad that Maria and I didn't get married now because I'm afraid the vows would say, do you, Maria Hanna, take this man, longtime Trump critic Russell Moore, to be your <laughs> husband? Because it's just sort of, uh, so everybody knows you don't have to agree with me on this, um, but you know what I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the beginning, one of the things that that I would notice is that a lot of people, even people who supported him and, and disagreed with me on that, were nonetheless shocked and rattled uh, by uh, behaviors and, and things that were done and stances that were taken. Uh, now, I think we're in a place where nothing even even shocks us anymore. Mm-hmm. It's hard to even know now what's parody. Right. Uh, and what's reality. So there, there will be times when somebody will send me something off of social media, some sort of a statement by um, by a politician in this kind of uh, politics as circus uh, sort of environment, say the shocking, outrageous things, and you don't even know whether right. it's, you have to look up whether it's parody or not. That's being mm. replicated now in the church. Mm. So you can see, and I, I really worry particularly about young evangelical men, because I'm seeing this happen a lot, where you have, uh, you have guys who have a great deal of uh, insecurities and the the way that they sort of make a name for themselves mm. is by saying shocking, outrageous uh, sorts of things, because then people will come in and denounce it and say, can you believe what uh, John Smith said about? And that continues to feed their sense right. of self. That is real. We, we've sort of normalized that. Uh, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. there would have been church meetings to say, you are in a really dangerous place and we're going to to deal mm-hmm. with it. Now, uh, what happens is these guys find uh, aging sort of Christian leaders who are afraid of them or who want to exploit them, uh, who who bring them into their, mm-hmm. their circles to this. And, and the end result is terrible for the church and the end result is terrible for the souls of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it doesn't surprise us anymore. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why when Donald Trump announced uh, this week that he's he's running for president again uh, this week as we're recording this, I, the, the response was not the kind of stress and division that we experienced the first couple of times around. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, it was sort of yawn. <laughs> and right. th- that that could be, in some cases, a sign of maturity and, and, and growth. In this case, I don't think it mm-hmm. is. I think it's just that we we have come to the point where we just say, well, this is what it is. Yeah. And I noticed that a lot with... Um, uh, teaching last year, I would have a lot of Christian 
uh, students uh, mm-hmm. at you know, University of Chicago who would come up and say, you know, I think that God's called me to public service, but almost none of them were planning for elective office. Mm. Uh, they were planning to be ambassadors or um, serving in in agencies and entities of various kinds. But they they said, I can't, I obviously I can't do what it takes to be elected mm. now. Mm. And that's a really a sign of something that's gone badly wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Like when we can't imagine how we can contribute to the common good, you know, in official capacities because the official capacities have been co-opted, it makes it very hard to figure out how to lead. Yeah. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. Help us understand, you know, given those realities, um, given the numbness, given, you know, the, the younger men who may be kind of, quote unquote, radicalized, what are leaders, pastors, more mature believers able to do? Well, I think there are a couple things. I mean, one of those is to model something different. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know how important it was for me to be able to see particularly one pastor that I had as a kid who, when, you know, in, in every church, circuses start. And and things start to happen. And what I noticed was somebody who didn't lose his equilibrium. I mean, he he wasn't panicked. He wasn't angry. He wasn't shocked. He wasn't cynical. He wasn't numb. He just kept uh, kept doing what it is that God called him to do. And the model of that. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think that he in any way intentionally thought, "Oh, I'm giving." Um, an example uh, for younger people. That's just, that's, that's who he was spiritually, Mm -hmm. but it had a, it just had a, an unbelievable influence on me because of what you just said, the imagination of saying, okay, Mm -hmm. this is what a godly Christian looks Mm -hmm. like and Mm -hmm. what a godly Christian leader looks like. It was Mm -hmm. really, really uh, important. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is to have those sorts of people who are able to uh, rebuke when the time uh, Mm -hmm. comes to come in and say, look at what the Bible says about quarrelsomeness. I mean, the the, the Bible is repeatedly throughout the New Testament talking about quarrelsomeness and and unhealthy craving for controversy. And what do you do with a factious or an angry Mm -hmm. uh, person? And so having those people who will say, no, I, I, I'm here in your life, and I'm going to say to you, this mm-hmm. is this is ungodly. Mm-hmm. We all need that, yeah, uh, in, in our lives, with, depending on what our our specific points of uh, vulnerability are. Mm-hmm. But that's that's really what we need. Mm. Well, thank you for giving us some some hope in the midst of what feels like a very tumultuous time. It's been such a pleasure to chat, and thanks for continuing to help us find a a path of sanity, you know, through (laughs) what feels uh, an ocean of insanity.
I think I think there is a way to sanity. And I think mm-hmm. the, the first step to sanity is the fact that so many people are saying, why are we in such insane times? Yeah. And yeah. for a while, I think what happens is uh, people think, the sane people think they're insane. Right. Because they start to say something must be wrong with me that this just seems crazy. But I think we're at the point now where a lot of people are starting to say, Mm-mm, this isn't normal. And that's the first step to looking for something better, I think. Well, tell us, Russell, where do we go if we want to hear more of these questions and answers? Uh, well, every week uh, we will be uh, we will be here sometimes doing conversations with folks and sometimes doing questions and answers. And I want to hear from our listeners with whatever questions you have about the Bible, about uh, theology, about ethics, about uh, relationships, about personal situation, whatever it is, send it to questions at russellmore.com and we will do our best to uh, answer them. And you're uh, listening to The Russell Moore Show. We'd really like you to go and subscribe, send it to a friend, leave a review, and check the show notes to find uh, other resources that might be of interest to you, including how to have a, a trial membership here at Christianity Today. This is Russell Moore, and this is The Russell Moore Show from Christianity Today. The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Eric Petrick, Russell Moore, and Mike Cosper. Hosted by Russell Moore. Produced by Ashley Hales. Associate producers, Abby Perry and Azurae Phelps. CT administration provided by Christine Kolb. Social media by Kate Lucky. Director of operations for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Production assistance provided by Core Media. Audio engineer is Kevin Duthu. Coordinator is Beth Grabencourt. Video producer is John Rowland. The theme song for the Russell Moore Show is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.